Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. We are live now, live we on YouTube, live. live in our recording that'll be posted four days from now, but we're still live right now. <laughs> we are alive. <laughs> we are alive. 13 of three. Thir- 13. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my favorite. Um, so we have, uh, we're, we're a little bit different schedule this week because, uh, and that's part of the reason we're, we're doing it today, but also some of the things we wanted to, to touch on today. Um, winter strong is this week. So both of us will be making the pilgrimage to South Carolina to go do that. You're heading out, I think tomorrow you said. Yeah, right. they, uh, they usually want us in, uh, a little bit early. I haven't gotten, uh, an exact detail on that, but yeah, they, the past years, you know, been a day or two early. Um, yeah, got a great team of people down there, obviously full time that are doing everything, but Probably right after this show, uh, going to talk to the guys and kind of sort out what my travel plans are, what my requirements are. And, um, you know, the last few years, I guess the first year was more what of a, you know, we're just getting our feet wet, didn't know what to do. So it was kind of an all hands on deck. And yep. then every year, especially credit to Ricky Hartzog, uh, he Ricky's somewhat took over uh, the planning and preparation, Not not entirely, but you know, just someone that was a point man on it. And he's done a great job to the point that, you know, it's starting to have a system and a flow and everybody's not necessarily always running around like their head, you know, right. chicken with their head. <laughs> just him off. basically. Well, just him <laughs> in the last 48 hours, you know, that's yeah, the way right. every, every big event goes is it's like you have a yeah. year and everybody's kicked back. And then the last 48 years, everybody seems like they're losing their shit. So, um, <laughs> I do know that it's going to be, uh, it's going to be eventful this year. Um, and talking to people, it's going to be the biggest one so far, you know, numbers wise. I don't know. You, you never know what that brings, you know, right. Um, right. You know, you bring 10 extra people and it's fine. And you bring in a hundred extra people and it's chaos. So right. Never know what it, what it will be. Um, my hope for the event is that, you know, like myself, it, it is an escape for me, but it's not about me. It's a little bigger than, than that. Mm. And I think, you know, my, my objective opinion, I've looked at people that maybe somewhat thought it was more about them at the event and that's okay too. But, you know, I really think at the heart of the matter, it is not about any one individual. It is about as a collective and really the representation of what the outdoors can be in a Sornex vision and, yeah. uh, lots of education, lots of, uh, application and experiential stuff. Um, you know, all about it. I mean, it's, it's great. Yeah. And it's an, it, I always leave more uplifted, I guess, than, um, uh, than, than I would expect, you know, cause you sure. always kind of expect to just get there and be overwhelmed with it, but it's, it's going to be good, man. I'm excited about it. What are you looking forward to most about it? Well, the thing that, and when I started going to, I can't say these kinds of things cause winter strong is really the only one that's kind of like that. Right. Sure. But just events in general. I remember, uh, like the first couple, it was like, how do I consume 
everything that happens over the course of the day or two days or three days or whatever it is. Right. Like, and my brain is just melted because I'm trying to do everything and talk to everyone. And that kind of really makes it hard to appreciate certain aspects of what happens yeah. because I'm trying to do too much. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I think it was probably, it might've even been the, the, the summer strong from two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, where that was like the first one where I went in and I'm like, look, there's as far as speakers, like there's, like three that I know I I'm here to really pay attention to. Sure. Right. So like, that's going to be where my, I really hone in on like, if I'm taking notes or if I'm really engaged in what they're doing and you know, the other ones are great, but if something else, if somebody else's conversation gets pulled away from something or there's something that I really would like to be a part of and I end up missing one, look, I'm okay. Like I'm here to do a couple of things and meet some people and just hang out. And so I think with things like this, going in with not a plan, but like, look, there's a couple things I really want to make sure happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm going to make sure those that's kind of be kind of on the priority list. And last year, not knowing what even the weekend was, right. Like I I kind of did that same thing last year. I show up and I'm like, I don't really know what's going on. So I'm just going to like wander around and see how many different things I can be a part of for two days, you know? And then, uh, but this year I kind of like, I'm a little bit different where, you know, there's some, there's some people I'm really excited to see and hang out with that I haven't seen since last year. And like, I'm, I'm putting a little bit more focus on some of that. Like who are, mm-hmm. who are the people I'm excited to like go see and just hang around with for a couple of days. And I know that some people that I haven't met yet, but I've been talking to them that are going to be there. Like that'll be the first time I've meeting them in person. Yep. And so things like that, like it's almost more oriented for me for this weekend anyways, like, I want to go see my friends and meet people and and just hang out. And then like the stuff that happens will be fun, but it's more about like the, the connection part of it for me, at least for, at least for this year, you know, that's yeah. kind of how I'm, I'm looking at it going into it. Yeah. I think that's always important. And one of the, maybe one of the attributes of, of a Sorenex event, you know, summer strong and winter strong, somewhat from the same ilk, you know, definitely yeah. from the same Genesis of, of, what we're trying to build, which is a place that's welcoming, educational, you know, application can be there. I've said that twice now, but yeah. Um, I do think that the, the nature of the events where it's a little more casual, yep. you know, you can kind of sit in for a minute and bounce around. And I think, uh, winter strong, possibly more than summer strong. And I also think that's the numbers dynamic, you know, Summer Strong, you're talking about much bigger, a, a thousand, fifteen hundred people. I don't know the yep. exact numbers versus, you know, 200 to whatever it becomes this year. But um, in those smaller pockets, you tend to see more of that breakout conversation, you know, yep. five or six people sitting around the fire. Um, maybe, it, you know, an educator is going through like, you know, somebody doing the bow drill, teaching that. Well, five or six people stay longer. five or six people get frustrated and they walk off. You know, that's one of the cool things about it in that it, it's not so binding that you have to do any one thing the whole time. It really is what you make of it. And I hope, you know, I I hope that most people go there. And like you said, they, they either meet people that they haven't met, they learn something they haven't learned or they try something they never tried. But you know, it felt like a little bit last year that I saw some people just kind of staying back the entire time. Yeah. Not really doing anything like right. I'm the shit I'm here. So come talk to me. Right. And that just doesn't work for me. Um, yeah. As an individual, I'm not going to classify what they do as right or wrong. Right. It just doesn't work for me. I, I don't want to go someplace and waste my time or waste anybody else's time um, being half-assed about it. So yeah. You know, I try to go pretty full immersion. A lot of times I'm, you know, I was working the course last year while people were on it, making sure everybody was staying, the, staying their path and whatnot. But they're just, I really think if you only go for like a masturbatory experience, like just to feel yeah. better about yourself, you miss the mm-hmm. entire intent of the weekend. Like there's so many great things to learn and experience and people, if you just, and this is not at you because of what you said, but if you stick yeah. to the same four or five people the entire weekend, yep, just stay home. Like I, yep. I just stay home. Like you're, you're, you're you're missing the opportunity of a lifetime. So one of the cool things, I was just gonna say one of the cool things from last year was, uh, cause that was obviously Greg's first experience down Mm -hmm. for the event too. And he and I were like a lot of 
maybe similar frame of mind kind of in the overwhelm, like I don't even know where to go kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so a couple of times throughout the weekend, I, I, like the two of us just kind of found each other mm-hmm. wandering and we'd, we'd walk together and, and talk just the two of us like wandering through the woods, like back towards the, the gun range and stuff like that. But we, we, it was kind of unintentional, but we ended up doing it intentionally where we wanted to find where were the, like what event was happening where the least amount of people were. Yeah. So we could like go and I remember the two of us walked down and I remember what was going on at the time. It might've been during uh, Dudley's deal that yeah. day with all the, on the, on the archery range. But uh, we, we wandered over to the, the pistol stuff and hung out with Scott Volkwartzen for yeah. like an hour. And there was literally just the two of us there for almost the whole thing. So we like hung out with the two of them and shot his guns and just chatted with him and got to know him a little bit better. And it was awesome. And so like, that was the kind of stuff that was really cool where you, you see uh, openings, mm-hmm. you know, and you get to go down and, and not only have that chance to talk with Scott, but me and Greg just wandering around for a couple of hours, like all oh, this, look, like nobody's over here. Let's go do this. Like what's going on yeah. over here. Well, and I think those are things were, those are the kind of things that were really fun. The thing I love about that, you know, is Greg is the perfect type of candidate for something like winter strong. I believe in that, you know, he's obviously at the top of his game. He's a, he's a very, very intellectually driven person. Uh, he's a performance driven person. He's lived it, done it. But, you know, the scope of his exposure to a lot of these things has been limited to, we'll, we'll just say like an inner city or like, yeah. a, a, you know, a cityscape. I won't say necessarily yeah. just a city, but a cityscape type place, whether it was in California or New York or anything in between. So you take a guy, high level skill, high level attention, high level detail, and then you introduce him to a new world, literally the outdoors as a new world. Yeah. And just some of the stuff, you know, getting to see him shoot a bow, watching some of his pistol work, mm-hmm. um, just seeing him, you know, somebody that you might classify as, oh, they're not an outdoorsman, but in the event, they started their path on becoming an outdoorsman. And I, I think that's, you know, will he, will his journey look like mine? Absolutely not. But does that mean he gets more enjoyment of being out there? Sure. And that's that I think, you know, over speaking for Bert, but I think that is one of the main things that we were looking for here is to bring these coaches, bring these, you know, athletically driven talent uh, to the outdoors. Because like for me, I was, I'm a perfect example. Bert has done it himself. Bert was Olympic level athlete. You know, I was a high level power lifter. We have a lot of uh, military friends through the Sornex community. Mm-hmm. All of these are post, uh, post focus, I should say, you know, like at the outdoors has not always been my drive, yeah. but having that attention span and having that ability to, to navigate a sport at a high level, that energy just doesn't go away. So when you leave your sport or you're forced out of the sport, like I was, man, I was searching for something in the outdoors, yep. whether it's hiking, camping, hunting, rafting, whatever it is, there's just so many options to what mm-hmm. the outdoors can be. Uh, that's where it excites me for the outdoor side. And I'm really grateful that Bert, has allowed me to kind of focus on that end of the spectrum. I just hope that we can, can grow it and do more with it. You know, I, I just think it's, we have too many good people, too many resources. Yeah. Um, to, and the to inverse, not, the inverse of that is yeah. cool too. Like the guys that yeah. are coming from the more, the outdoors side of things that, you know, their experience of training is just like, I'm going to throw a pack on and just go hike, you know, like maybe yeah. there's not a lot of formal weightlifting or, or any type of, like strength training background, but they get to pull in with all of these guys that are like Olympic level, you know, in that world too. And so you get the inverse of that conversation, which is pretty fun too. Something I thought was really cool about Woodski when we were at TAC out in uh, Park City, one of his presentations was, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase it right now, but, you know, in the outdoor space or really in the men's culture, we have this like, you better be the toughest. You got to be the hardest. You got to be this, this, and this. And, Woodski kind of framed in a way that was, I, I think it was agitating in a sense, but it was also <laughs> the truth. If you were willing to listen is that toughness is a byproduct of uh, failed preparation. You mm. don't have to be tough for something that you're prepared for. So this endless mindset of the hunter that like, I'm the toughest on the mountain, I'm this, this, and this, and this, and this, and it all comes down to toughness. Well, toughness really means you weren't prepared. Because, mm. you know, the first day of basketball conditioning, you get your ass killed, but you might yeah. survive it. 
But in the end of eight or ten weeks, you know, you're it's kind of like the Fight Club thing. When he first comes into dough, he's a wad of cookie dough, and by the end, he's like mm-hmm. hard as nails. Yep. And that's essentially the same kind of thing. Is where is the gap that we can help hunters not feel like they're on a regimented Olympic type training program? But what are the things that we can impart as far as wisdom and preparation that will help them prevent injuries, go a little bit further, maybe not be tired when the shot is in the crosshairs? Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things is really that's just a low brow mark of achievement that we're trying to find is like, how can we help the hunting community be better hunters and not just yeah. reside to them this idea that, well, you just have to be tough. Well, if you're going to be, what's that saying? If you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. Right. Well, that's part of it. You don't have to be yeah. tough when you're prepared. Um, your body is physically adapted for what you're asking. And I think myself, you, anybody can learn mm-hmm. from that and take from that. So, and that's kind of a, and that's kind of a good, bridge point to, to one of the other things that, that had come up that we wanted to talk about today. Cause we used the word preparedness mm-hmm. a bunch. And that was a, a question that had come up in the last couple of weeks. Um, several times was just this idea of preparedness as a big word, right. But there's all these different avenues and channels that have their own, you know, essentially master's level course worth of stuff to talk yeah. about. But if we're talking just general preparedness, whether that be, in the physical sense with training and your fitness or in the, or in the sense of your home or food or all of these other things that play a part. It was, it was something that had come up, you know, like what kind of things uh, would you recommend people start with or how do we go about even like as somebody totally green to this concept, what are maybe the, the couple of things that are a priority and, and that can be super overwhelming Mm -hmm. because when you, when you even dip a toe into this, into this water, you realize that you're like jumping into the Pacific ocean. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's literally infinite amount of things that everybody will tell you, you should be doing, you need to be mm-hmm. doing this. And it can be totally overwhelming to, to grasp that concept where you're like, well, what's like, what can I do right now? Like what's one mm-hmm. thing I can just do today to begin? Because it's one of these other things where it's going to compound and you'll just develop systems of all this. And if we relate it back to, like the stuff from this weekend, like last year, we had a couple of different presentations and little group breakout things that were kind of surrounding this. Laura did uh, a breakdown of like her med kit that she carries mm-hmm. with her in her bag. And then she did like a fire starting deal, which ended up being like the most perfect part of the day ever to do that. Because as soon as we all went outside, it was torrential downpour. Yeah. And so she's like, it, you're not, if you can start a fire in this, like you can start one anywhere, basically. Yeah. And so it was stuff like that that was really helpful. And then uh, Pat did a bunch of like not tying things. I mean, so there's all these like little niche things that are part of it. But when you think of preparedness, you know, in any direct, take it any direction you want. But like, what is maybe the the one or two things that you look for as top priorities that you can maybe somebody implement soon with little to no formal training or experience? Well, and first and foremost, I guess we should we could categorize these. Physical mm-hmm. preparedness would be, for me individually, it would be some sort of training, some sort of cardio effect, some metabolic effect in my training yeah. to elicit the response that I need for what I'm about to do. If I'm getting ready to do a 100-mile race, yep. getting paramountly strong is not going to be very conducive to that. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about is a lot of these guys, you know, Cam Haynes is a guy that's kind of ridiculed a lot for his pr- approach. He doesn't train legs. He runs a half marathon every day. His legs don't need a whole lot more training than that. Right. So he trains and focuses on his upper body. Okay. Do I agree with that? Not necessarily for the average mountain person, right? but for him, it makes sense. And that's what we have to do now is we have to build the the model that makes sense for me. So for me, strength training is going to be a part of that. Hiking is going to be a part of that. Rowing, shooting my bow. Those are going to be the physical Brandon is prepared for this process type of thing. Like regardless of equipment, I can see myself from point A to point B on the finish line. Beyond that, I think, uh, one, I will say first and foremost, every outdoorsman should probably invest and and start begin understanding the the versatility of a knife, um, Mm. from cooking to splitting wood to shavings off of wood to start fire, uh, from first aid applications, um, skinning. I mean, there's, there's so many things that a good knife is just fundamentally paramount for. Um, I don't think that you will ever see an avid outdoorsman or a successful outdoorsman 
that doesn't at least tell you to rely on some type of blade. I know some guys have gone more to the hatchet mode. Yep. Some have gone more to something like the speed goat and ultralight. This, uh, I know you can see it and I'll show it to those on the YouTube, but this has been my most popular carry knife mm. since, mm -hmm. uh, since I got it a few years ago. This is from Mike Vasquez. Um, it's just a heavy duty. You can see it's a thick base. You can hit a mallet. You can hit a hammer on the back of it. You can split some firewood. You can shave with it. Um, and I mean, shave like for uh, whittling for kindling. Yep. You can also shave your face with it. I've shaved my face with it a time or two. So something like this that has more than one approach. Whereas the yep. Speed Goat, great knife, hyper-functional, hyper-light. You hit that over the thing in the back with a, with a hammer or a mallet a few times, and you might not be looking at a full piece Speed Goat. That's not a knock on Josh. That is right. credit to their design that it was made for ultralight use and skinning. Because he has ones that are made to handle for sure. that kind and of stuff too. And that's the other thing is start yep. educating you on the limitations of your of your equipment. Yep. Second, any avid outdoorsman beyond the knife, I would say your pack. Um, understanding what your pack can do, what it's made for, and what its limitations are, are paramount. And also understanding that every pack that's made is not the same. You know, going mm. to Walmart and buying a Jansport backpack is not going to be the same as a oh, technical or tactical backpack you know a jansport that was my backpack from eighth grade through college it carried my <laughs> books it got me around good little backpack and if that's all you can afford and if you're just hiking and doing light outdoor stuff fantastic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but getting into that segment of i might pack an animal out or i might need a sleeping bag or i might need right. multi-layers of gear so understanding addressing and and finding the right pack for you a lot of reading, a lot of backgrounds there. Um, Eberly Stock will be there. They'll have some kits. They can check you out. I actually run Kafaru bags uh, just mm -hmm. because experience in the field with a couple of those, they just uh, they just did the job better than I th yeah. than I needed them to. And yep. I'm just a very loyal person. I carried an Eberly Stock uh, backpack as an everyday carry for almost four years. Did the job yeah. was perfectly fine. Got into a field with a kind of a heavier situation, and I was given a Kafaru pack to use on that hunt from one of the guys at Chino. Packed mm -hmm. out my elk perfectly. It was great. So can't really knock any one thing, but the back that I carried every day for four or five years that was so great would have been terrible for a hunt. Right. But the, but the bag that I carried on my hunt would yep. also work as an everyday carry. So yep. it's knowing that kind of stuff. And then lastly, I guess third and, you know, talking about somebody who wants to go full fledged into this first aid would be, yeah. uh, it's hard because first aid and fire, you know, yeah. uh, either one of those two things. And I would actually put fire in first aid in, in some arguments because mm -hmm. warmth is yep. such a pivotal part of staying healthy and, and going strong in the outdoors. I mean, being cold is miserable. So I will loop that into first aid just from the standpoint sure. of warmth, but Moreover, I would just really dedicate to getting, uh, I don't have it right here, but it's downstairs. I might post a picture of it, but I just got one of these little oversized, uh, tactical add-ons for your backpack. So it can actually yeah. attach to your backpack. It's right on the outside. It's a quick release. You can pull it off. Um, I keep various bandages, dressings, uh, I keep some, uh, lidocaine in there just for instant pain release on a wound, keep a stitch kit, keep a tourniquet, um, uh, keep some. Advil, Tylenol, some kind of pain reliever, inflammation mm -hmm. reducer. Uh, keep a few uh, water tabs in there so you can sterilize water. Also, something along the lines of betadine, uh, peroxide. I mean, it's 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 not a lot, but man, I've just had some really weird situations. I don't know if you can see my hand, but right here, mm -hmm. um, I tore a big gash out of my hand uh, walking with my recurve. The, mm. the, the springy rest was sticking out the other side and just gashed my hand. So without, you know, without those kind of things on hand and they weren't just left to bleed for a while, eventually we, we went and got them and got everything dressed out and it's fine. But again, it's one of those times where I was like, don't need my first aid kit going right here. We're 25 minutes from the car. Yep. Not a big deal. Well, it could have been a lot worse than my hand and it could have been a lot further than 25 minutes. So right. even someone like myself who was confident and maybe even a little bit cocky at times by forgetting something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. I would not express to anyone that they should overlook their first aid kit, no matter the situation. And then fire starting, like you said, Laura teaching how to start a fire in the rain, 
understanding that cotton balls uh, in a dip can that have been swabbed in uh, Vaseline is the most mm-hmm. amazing fire starter backup in the world. Mm-hmm. Knowing how to do it with a bow drill, knowing how to do it with a fire starter, an accelerant, or flint. I mean, you can literally, and we should talk about this more as we go. Like we can individually break these down. Not yeah. again in the sense that you're an expert. I'm an expert. I'm an expert on my failures. I am. I am a product <laughs> right. of needing these things along yeah. the way and wishing I'd had them. And after you know several years of really trying to do this more and more, finding out and refining because I used to be a guy that overpacked. Every time I went in the woods, you know, I had a sixty-pound pack because I wanted to cover any and all bases. Right. Well, that's good and it's bad. You know, it's fifty miles and you're ten minutes from the car, no problem. If it's fifty pounds and you're going seven eight miles, it becomes a factor. So I am not a minimalist. I'm not one of these guys trying to live on three pounds, but I can usually fill a pretty resourceful pack in under 20, you know, and that's what I'm looking for now is just that optimum pack size that is conducive to everything I need. And and some Mm -hmm. of my changes or some of my things have changed too. Do I need a full rain gear or do I just need a a micro uh, water resistant blanket that I can put on if it's pouring, you know, stuff like that. And just having, it's time in the field. Like you go to the same job every day for a thousand days, you're going to be better at it and know more about it in a thousand days. I've probably spent, you know, in the last five to six years near that thousand days in the, in the outdoors. So it's, um, it's not, like I said, I'm not better than anyone or no more than anyone. It's like, I've just learned through being cold and being wet and all that stuff. Well, and a lot of these, and a lot of these things you can go in, like you said, you're going to go in with, the idea the first time of what you need and you're probably going to be wrong to either degree of not enough or too much, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it it only comes from that refining of being out and knowing what it is that you need, how you camp, how you hunt, all these kind of things, where you do all of these things matters. Right. And so like being up here in the Northwest where it's a lot of steep, you know, if we're elk hunting, it's a lot of steep terrain at, you know, close to maybe 10,000 feet or a little under that. Yeah. Like that's a, a lot different need than when you guys are pig hunting in Oklahoma. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. Like you just need different stuff. Yep. And so that's part of knowing just, and that all comes from the experience part of it where you have to go out and learn. I didn't do this right. Like, or I'd, you know, and that's usually a bummer, but that just is part of it. it you know, you get those things better. You know who the worst in the world at that is? Is the U.S. military. And I'll tell you. So I had a I had a professor named Fate Brewer. He's just an awesome guy. Um, super, super. He was a Vietnam veteran, and okay. he had he had fought on Hamburger Hill. Like he he was wow. like I was a part of the the group that advanced, took it. We retreated, or not retreated, but you kind of recede back, and they would take it again, and then they had to fight again. Yep. He said they took yep. the hill like four times. And he said, everyone was just a wave of slaughter, you know, just watching his friends die. Like he had relegated himself to dying. But one of the things he talked about was, uh, you know, when we fought in Japan in world war two, um, we realized that it was like, you know, it was warm and it was pleasant. So when we invaded or we went to war with Korea, we sent Japanese issue. Well, Korea was freaking freezing and guys froze to death. Um, and that's true. Like American soldiers froze to death in Korea because of, uh, ill-prepared kit. Yep. Fast forward to Vietnam. Well, oh my God, we're fighting near Korea again. So we better send cold Has weather to be gear. the same, right? <laughs> so they sent cold weather gear, gear to the jungle again, uh, heat exhaustion, heat stroke, these kind of things started impacting our guys. They sent leather bottom boots to the jungle. So you were getting this rot foot and the, the, the Viet Cong was using those bamboo shoots because softened leather made an easy target for those bamboo shoots to stra- stab through through the foot, mm-hmm. get infection and whatnot. And they were, they were doing other shit too. They were dropping feces in the water and all kinds of stuff to make sure that if a soldier stepped on it, they were infected. Um, you know, and that even carried over into the Middle East and in, in the Gulf War. They yeah. sent them with more warm gear because of the cold nights than they did the cool gear. So, the U.S. government. As, as an albatross still doesn't do the preparation work to understand they have all the gear in the world and all the kit in the world. They just pick the wrong ones mm. until they get the feedback. So I know that's a terrible example, but it is true. Like, yeah, you are going to be ignorant if you've never done it, just like our military, even though we've done it, we're making terrible assumptions. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can learn from that. And that actually stuck with me a lot when I was talking to fate was he was telling me, Whatever you do in this life, make sure you know what you're getting into and how you're going to get back home. And like, 
a lot of times people prepare for the climb up. They don't prepare for the climb down. Yeah. You know, that's something I've talked about on Everest. You know where most people die that, that scale it? On the way back down. On the way back down because yeah. they chance their oxygen going up. They chance yep. their rations going up. And now it's like, oh, this is the come down. It's easy. Well, they die coming down because they didn't prepare for the come down. So yeah. I just think it's a lesson that that we can talk about from our own experiences, but yeah. also just impart some some anecdotal evidence towards other things too. Yeah. And I'll build off of kind of a couple of the things that you had said, cause I, I'd, I'd been asked specifically gear wise, what kind of stuff I like. You mentioned Kafaru, um, mm-hmm. on the packs and I have, uh, I've been using EXO yeah, yeah. for the last couple of years and they're, they're, local they're, amazing they're made, too. they're made here in Boise area and they're awesome. And they're, I mean, heavy duty and, yep. and honestly, until you use and this is more related to the mountaineering, the hunting issue, right? But until you use a really good pack, like when you use one for the very first time, it's one of those moments where you're like, how in the world was I ever doing anything other than this? Right. Like it's it's such a difference maker in your ability to carry load. Yeah. If you use one that's properly fitted and has a good frame and it's got everything that you need, like it's crazy. So in terms of things that are, I would say, an important investment, they can be expensive, right? I mean, they're mm-hmm. several hundred dollars for a nice one, but you get one, they'll last you. A, I mean, if you get a good one, like Kufaru and Exo will last years. Like, yeah. mul- I mean, for, I mean, depending on how ragged you run with them, but even that they are, they hold up really well. And so I agree, like the, the backpack thing was incredibly important. I'll take it a little bit of a different uh, direction because one of the other versions of this that we can talk about with preparedness is if we bring it back like into the home front, sure. right? Cause that's a big, I mean, a massive thing as well, how to prepare your home for whatever, if it becomes power outage, if it becomes, you know, and there was all these with this whole last week, um, people talking about the threat of a, a high altitude EMP because of that stupid Chinese balloon that flew all the way across the country before anybody did anything about it. Yeah. And, uh, and I made a joke that, uh, cause they were, they're always pat, they were passing it off as like, Oh, it was just a weather balloon. Right. You know, that was what the Chinese government was saying. And I made the joke that like, they're probably just checking on all the farmland in the country that they already own. So yeah, like, yeah. what is everybody, <laughs> what is everybody yeah. ticked off about, you know? But, um, if we're talking about like home defense, a couple of things, you know, and this is something that I'm still learning, right? Like I'm, we're doing what we can here. Cause we're also in the process of maybe looking at moving into a new place this year where it has some, yeah. So that's a whole, that's a whole thing. And, uh, and taking some of these things where I have a criteria or like a list of priorities on, on new locations. Right. But the first thing I'd probably say is the water route. Like Mm -hmm. as far as things that are easy for people to do, Mm -hmm. you can always start a, a backup supply of water. And like the general kind of recommendation is that gallon per person per day, uh, in, in the home. And then the general recommendation is like a two week supply, right? So that doesn't mean you have to go out and fill up 500 gallons of water and then find somewhere to store it right away. But you can take a couple of five gallon things and get them filled up with clean drinking water and find a cool, dark place to store them, whether it be in your garage or a basement or whatever, and do that like a couple times a week or something like that. Every time you go to the grocery store, take one extra one. Yeah. Right. And that kind of goes in the same vein with the food preparation. If you get like shelf stable, shelf stable stuff, you don't need to like go out and make a run just for the things that are going to be in your like survival kit. Right. Yeah. Or you're on, on all your shelves. But like, if you're going to go get a bunch of rice, get a pound extra of rice. It's mm-hmm. like a dollar 50. If you go to like a bulk foods thing. Yeah. Right take that and put it in a storage thing and put it downstairs or whatever it is. And you can slowly begin to build these things up by adding to already existing grocery runs yep. rather than like, well, I'm not going to go spend 500 bucks on emergency food this week. Well, you don't have to, you can yeah. spend an extra 10 and get a good amount of stuff and then do it again next week and next week. And then pretty soon, a couple months in, you've got a full shelf full of stuff that like yeah. you've already built up into the rotation. Well, I'll tell you something else that's really effective and and kind of a movement here in my town. So college I go to has always uh, somewhat been invested in a sustainable community, Uh, Mm -hmm. not necessarily sustainable living for an individual, but a sustainable community to the point that that there's a there's a giving farm in town. And what they do is if you go there and work it and you plant some stuff, you're allowed to take things out of it. I mean, within reason, like you're not getting you're not getting a year's worth of corn from it, but you might be able to 
take a few bushels or, you know, a few ears of corn and feed your family yeah. with it. Like, so it's teaching people the process, but they had a really big initiative about collecting rainwater, getting a 55 gallon barrel, running it off your gutters and having a filtration system in there. And, and actually, believe it or not, if you just filter with uh, some rocks and some sand and different various things that you actually sit on top through the feeder, it yeah. will become purified filtered water with all the, all the enriched minerals that you actually need, not this like vacated liquid source. It's like, it's actually valuable water Uh, because that's a lot of times people don't understand that we're drinking this, you know, purified water or whatever, they're becoming more dehydrated because they're not actually taking in the mineral content to keep them balanced. So rainwater is a great one. 55 gallon barrel drum. Hell get wild and get two of them and run them on the house. And now you've got 110 gallons. I also agree with the, uh, buying the, the, two to three five gallon water jugs they're not very expensive they're exchangeable uh if you go too long looking at them just run it through and get a new one refill yep. it yep. i think something like that having 15 to 20 mobile gallons at all times yep. is good and i've gone so far uh tipping my hand a little bit but i sourced a place around here that has fresh spring water like it's it's nice. drinkable water yeah and i have systematically buried three of those big rubber maids uh throughout time over the it really started with covid it was something i'd really yep. wanted to do but it started with covid and like you said uh bags of rice ramen noodles just some some dense calorie type foods mm-hmm. that are also you know you can cut a pack of ramen in half or you can ration out rice if things got really bad you don't want these big block items that you have to consume whole that's why i kind of avoided even some of the canned foods yeah. Because then you're once the can's open, you're kind of committed to it. And yep. granted, if it was a kind of a live or die situation, that can's probably not going to last very long anyway. But right. in the sense of having rationable goods, uh, having some rope, having some matches, having some, you know, a, an additional first aid kit for those things. Yeah. Having a tent buried there in case I don't have access to a tent. So I've got these three big Rubbermaids with batteries, with flashlights, with lanterns, with some fuel um, you know, for the lanterns kind of thing. Yeah. So all of this stuff on its own, you know, you, you could go there and you could have a place. You're not necessarily going to be able to stay there forever, sure. but packing your home, like you said, with those additional groceries, you know, if you could come back or having the hundred gallons of water out here that you could come back to. Yeah. Um, I don't know the situation where it would be so dire that you would just be entirely without, right. but I think also having a, a bug out spot, like mm-hmm. I'm talking about, I mean, I know exactly where it is. I can walk there with my eyes closed. It's far enough that nobody else is going to find me or it. And it's close enough that I can get there every day if I wanted to. So I, you know, again, is that, is that some sort of uh, hysteria? No, I, I don't think it is. And just on the, on the fact that I think that the political, the political scheme of the world and just the world at large is somewhat volatile right now. Yeah. I don't see it, you know, Preparation is not paranoia. Preparation right. is preparation for the potential of what could be. And um, like I said, I'm not building an entire structure out there waiting for this to happen. It's just right. these are some necessities that I will sure as hell wish I had or wish I had done something to prepare for if if shit ever hits the fan. I hope not. I hope yep. those things rot. <laughs> I hope somebody yeah, finds right. them in 50 exactly. years. But, um, you know, as far as the house, I am I am pretty aggressively armed, you know, Um I like knives a lot and, you know, I keep a knife pretty much on me at all times. Not, not so much from the boogeyman, but just, I like to have it around for different things. But as far as that, as far as my, my anti-home defense, first line of defense for me is going to be a shotgun with alternate slugs and buckshot. You know, it's going to go slug buck because if somebody's coming at me, I want to hit them with a slug first and then (laughs) some buckshot if they're running and then another Mm -hmm. slug and so on and so (laughs) forth. So, uh, first line of defense would be a tactical Mossberg 500. I've got it tricked out with a flashlight, uh, collapsible stock, different things. Um, it holds eight rounds as is. So, you know, I'm yeah. not going to miss something eight times, especially in close quarters. And right, the best defense I can tell anyone that has an, an arm, you know, firearm that doesn't want to be the aggressor, go to your furthest closet, lock the door, and point that thing at the handle. And if somebody starts jarring it, tell Make them identify themselves. And if not, blow the handle off the door. Like yep. uh, that's the best thing. If you don't want to go actively through your house, get as far away from their potential reach. And if they're coming for you, they're not coming to say hi. You right. know, that's, that's kind of the training model that I use beyond that. I keep a pistol by my bed that I always 
it, it would go straight on my hip. Shotgun would go in my hand. Yep. And then throughout the house, there's, there's a couple other ARs and some things like that. Yep. But, you know, is it over preparation? I don't know. Do I shoot those yeah. guns regularly? Yes. So it's like, they're just storage places for my guns and a bad day for somebody that comes in here unwanted. So, yeah, it's a, uh, it's cool. Cause we have, I don't know if you can see that shelf behind me up mm-hmm. there. That's right next to the guitars. It's actually a false bottom shelf that has oh, yeah. like a RFID chip thing on the top. And I have, uh, it's like you can literally, I, I did it to where it makes it look like some kind of like trapdoor James Bond looking thing. Cause I can yeah. slide something over and the bottom drops out of it. And I got both of our, uh, both of our handguns, my wife's and mine yeah. right under there. Uh, she has a, a P365 and then my, yeah. my G7. That's a great gun. I had one of those yeah. for quite a while. And that's what I usually like to, to just do everyday carry with, mm-hmm. uh, just size and it shoots well but the the g17 is the one that is like more so home and then if i got a spot between my seat where i keep it in the in the in the rig um but i was i was thinking as you were talking about like as far if we're talking about the arms part of this one of the things actually from winter strong last year that really stuck with me was when we were out doing the stuff with buck Mm -hmm. and uh he was probably one of my favorite people of the entire way oh my gosh he's the best and uh but one of the things he had said was, you know, he's like, I understand the the Jeez. want and the desire and the need for people to go out and buy, uh, be kind of this like, you know, home version of an arms dealer, yeah. right? Where they have dozens or whatever of all these things and, and tens of thousands and ammo's great. Obviously, that's not the, the point I'm trying to make, but he's like, but they've only shot every gun they have one time mm-hmm. or... Yeah some of them maybe haven't even shot one of their guns before. Cause they have so many, right. He's yep. like, it's like the old, uh, it's like the old Bruce Lee thing. You know, I'd rat I'm, I'm much more effective shooting one gun 10,000 times yeah. than 30 guns, you know, with, without varying consistency. Mm-hmm. And so I'm th- and, and I think about it just because of the, the home that we live in where it's a smaller home, like under 800 square feet for yeah. the whole place storage is an issue, right? We don't have like a massive place to put like a gun. I have our places that we have things. So I'm thinking like, how effective can I be with two or three at most? Like I've got our shotgun, I got our handguns, and then I'm in the, I'm going to be getting the AR platform sometime this year. So that'll be kind of like round out a lot of that uh, for what we need. Right. So like, that's the other part of this is you can listen to everybody that has these magic, you know, like our, like Logan, right. Who has yeah. a room that's just an, an arsenal. Right. Yep. And, uh, but he has a 600 acre farm, right. Yeah. Like in, and all these outbuildings and all these other things with his home that, you know, and, and everything else that is conducive for him having that sort of armory where yep. like you have to look at it in what is your situation? What is going to be the most effective? And then the, the other part of this, that seems obvious when you and I are talking about it, but you have to, practice with them right and train with them and not only just being a proficient marksman but situationally like you had given the example of if somebody's coming and you got to get to the as farthest away as they can be from you in the home like run yourself through through different scenarios i did about two and a half years of of that type of training at a local place here that was um that was owned and operated by a couple of ex-law enforcement guys and then they had a couple of ex-military guys that that worked for him while teaching just situational mm-hmm. stuff. And they had this big warehouse that had like these fake, like a fake bank and yeah. like a fake home. And they'd run you through like, and we do like the gel cap version of, of ammo. Mm-hmm. So you could actually use a full size G 17 yeah. as practice, but they teach you like, you know, if you're in this situation, here's how you look around a room. Mm-hmm. Like here's the points to look at first, depending on where you are in the room. If you're going through your home, here are the things to make sure you look for. And so if there's anybody that's in your area that offers that type of training, I mean, that kind of stuff, I mean, can really kind of be invaluable for talking about learning how to, you know, potentially save lives or save your own life. Right. Well, you know, jujitsu as well. I mean, it's, it's one of yeah. those things that can really kind of surprise you because you think, okay, I'm strong, I'm fit, I'm a man. And then you wrestle with yeah. a, a, a female, you know, maybe <laughs> 50, 60, 70 pounds, you're lighter, mm-hmm. but they're more technical. So to give you an example, I, I have a lot of friends that have been in the special forces group mm-hmm. um, and, and just some different situations have presented themselves. I've, I've worked with Brian Morgan out at Hat Creek training in Idaho, some long range stuff. 
but some of the close quarter stuff really surprised me. So just to give you an example of, of the average person, you know, maybe say the average man that thinks, okay, I'm going to outmaneuver this situation. Right. So we're setting up and the, the whole scenario was you were supposed to be doing something active, you know, whether it was working on your computer, working on your phone, cooking dinner, you were just given a task and you were supposed to do it. And within five minutes, you knew somebody was coming and they were going to come in and attack you. Mm. So this was a situation where, you know, I'd watched a couple other guys go and they'd always entered through this leftward door. So what do you do? You know, I'm sitting here on the phone and I'm going through my five minutes and I'm just waiting, looking at this door, looking at this door, dude walks up behind me and puts a knife to my neck and was just like, you're done. And I was like, but I thought you're, yeah, he's like, you thought wrong, mm, you know? So yeah. it was teaching you that even when you think, you know, yeah, it is the situational awareness of everything. Okay. Everybody's been coming through that door. There's still windows. There's still a door. There's still other entryways over here. And I think a lot of times just having that ultra fixation on that's the front door. That's where they're going to come through. If they're coming, you start to omit possibilities from other areas. And lo and behold, even on the next round, when he came through the appropriate door, you know, I had to put the phone down. I had to get into my shirt and lift up and draw my, you know, simulated weapon. He was already on top of me, like literally preventing me from drawing my weapon. Yeah. So having some understanding of one, get away from the threat and then dispose of the threat. Like I stayed still, you know, the move should have been, okay, there's trouble coming. What does an animal do in the wild? It runs before it even asks questions. So yep. get away and then address your weapon and address the attacker or whatever it may be. But just little stuff like that. And even again, live situation pops out right now. I'm not going to know the right answer. You're going to have yeah. to, but time is the one thing they kept promoting was give yourself more time. If I'm at a table and somebody's coming in, spin the table between you, create yep. distance and then create that time. I mean, just stuff like that, that you can't know unless you're going through some of these classes, buds up in Lexington, they're a gun range. They run all kinds of self-defense. Mm -hmm. um, I encourage everyone to get their carry conceal license, just especially as a voice and a vote towards giving a shit yeah. about guns in a country that's trying to take them away. Yeah. Um, it's just one more piece that can say, I care about guns. I believe in my right to exercise gun ownership. And it also, yeah. it bodes well for gun ownership if more people are getting licensed and going through those steps. But there are things you learn in those courses. Um, but I, I agree with you. I could not, especially in this day and age, you know, money's hard, interest rates are up, people are losing their jobs. That is just, that is just a breeding ground for petty crime. And petty yeah. crimes become violent crimes when they're interrupted. So yeah. it's, not, it's not paranoia, again, to be prepared. $300, $400 for a good weekend course is not out of the question. $1,000, $1,500 for a more in-depth kind of course is not out of the question. I bet you would spend that $1,000 every single time if someone broke into your home and you were unable to prevent the harm of your yeah. child, your spouse, yourself. How, how valuable would that $1,000 have been then? Might not have saved yeah. you, but it yeah. might be the difference in saving you at some point, you know? And there's, and we said, you know, there's all places, there's probably some, you know, depending on where you are, I guess there's the likelihood that there's somewhere relatively close that does something like this to your location. But mm -hmm. there's also a bunch of like, I know, uh, Ian Strimbeck from Rune Nation yep. has, he travels around the country and does this kind of stuff. So, I mean, like there's, well, like there's Rudy resources, and out, and, exactly. And there's, there's resources out there that you can search and find and look for specifically what type of training you're wanting. A lot of them are firearms. Some of them are survival based. Some of them are med kit based, these kinds of things. One of the things I was going to ask you when, we, when you brought up jujitsu, because this is sort of this, it's sort of this like internal struggle I have with it because what I think happens is some people get proficient in jujitsu or like proficient enough to where they feel more confident defending themselves. And then they think out in the streets, like, if someone steps up to them to, to start something, they want to get into that confrontation because almost to kind of like prove like, look, I know how to do this now. Yeah. But when you're out in that kind of scenario, there's no, there's no judge or ref like awarding points and stuff. And you have no idea 
the situation. Like if you're just going to like try and get something out of a bar fight. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, I think we're probably past the point in our, in our society where like the bar fight used to just be a couple dudes who throw a couple punches and one of them get thrown out and then it's, and then everybody's fine. Right. Yeah. Like we're to the point where like guys are carrying knives mm. or stuff like this and they, you know, they don't want to lose. Right. Well, so, and you're, and you're out in the street, there's no, you have no idea. Yeah. So like what you said, create that distance, mm-hmm. right? Like that should be like, do that first and assess. And you know, like if you need to piece, I can't tell you how many stupid videos I've seen that I wish I hadn't seen of guys that are getting into a situation like this. And one guy that they're going against turns into four. Yeah. Right. All well, of a th- sudden. I think it was even Rogan that said, you know, what would you do in a fight? And he said, the first thing I tell everybody is run. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't know what's coming yeah. later on. And my instructor, Scott, he actually said one time he would love to fight a guy in the street that just stuck to jujitsu. He said he exactly. hit him in the <laughs> face like five or six times and it's over, you know. So you can maybe in that sense you can overtrain to the point where you you defer so strictly to a rule set that you yes. forget that this is a, this is a street fight. This is different. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it does bode well to have some kind of martial art training, but also you got to have a little bit of that cowboy in you. That's like, mm-hmm. I know these things and I'm going to use these things, but if this thing gets sideways, I'm biting nuts, I'm poking eyes, I'm whatever I can do. I am going to be the aggressor in this yeah. situation or, Maybe the best answer is I'm going to run like hell until, you know, if they're coming after me, at least I have some time to think of what, you know, I don't know, but I mean, somebody with bad intentions, that's a bad day. Yeah, Um, exactly. And that, that, the part about running, I think, because we brought up, you brought up like the conditioning part earlier, right? And that was one of the things I wanted to make a point of too, as we're talking about this preparedness thing, because it's kind of become a meme of itself of these guys that are kind of the the wannabe like special forces guys that, you know, like carry all these kits and have the plate carriers and the night visions and all that kind of stuff, but they can't run a mile. Yeah. You know, like none of that's going to do you any good without some form of conditioning. And I mean, a million other things, but like there's this, you know, that's why we're talking this whole conversation is like, what's that hierarchy. Right. Yeah. You know, I think it's very true. Um, I was actually watching a guy the other day. He's a single action shooter, kind of a heavy set guy, and he was working the he was working the Henry repeater, and then he oh, was I on saw his, that video. Was, yeah, you so know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And it's like this guy would mow your ass down if you're coming, right? If he got in a pursuit of any kind where he was on foot, I mean, can he shoot that good backwards? You right. know, because he's got a he, he's not going to make it very far running away, and mm-hmm. you know that goes into a deeper thing with me is I think we've gotten to a point in life where, you know, this, this meat wagon, this meat vehicle is, is like almost, I think people are, are viewing in stereo, you know, like this is my life through my eyes. You're in my life. This isn't your life. It's mine. So I'm viewing everything outward. And I think that a lot of times we forget that if we were better versions of that meat wagon, you know, if we had better physical health, we might have better gut health, which might mean better mental health, which might mean better thought yeah. processing, better physical processing. I think that life to be lived at its ultimate has to be experienced through a body that is at its ultimate. And I don't think that mm. everybody is going to be, you know, an Olympic athlete or, you know, super in shape. I think that there is a fundamental line of what I would consider fitness that will pre be a precursor to a better life. Can you walk? Can you jog a little bit? Can you lift weights? And it, it doesn't have to be any of those things. I know yogis that are in incredible physical condition, but they're also pushing very hard at their thing. Yeah. Um, I just feel like a better version of you is going to be a better fire starter, a better tent yep. maker, a better gun shooter, a better bow shooter. All of those things are, are extensions of the individual that you create. And whether that is reading more so you have mental comprehension. Dude, I was thinking about this too. I mean, the amount of, like, if somebody said you have to read 10 pages to get a job and you you have to read these 10 pages and comprehend them, how many people are getting bored at at page three or page two? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I had a situation where I was showing a video the other day and it was like, are they going to get to the point? 
Well, it's like a 90 second video and it takes <laughs> right. 80 seconds to build the build up to making the point. Yeah. And it was just like, it's 90 seconds. Like I, I you know, I ask you to watch it. It's 90 seconds, mm-hmm. it? but that's, that's sometimes where our attention spans are is they're just so condensed that we want the hit and then we want to move on. We don't care to go further. So I think if you're that type of person, definitely do not buy a firearm because you won't shoot it. You will just look at it pretty in its box. Don't buy a bow. You won't shoot it. Don't go hunting. You won't win. Like you won't succeed at the things that Mm -hmm. you're trying to win at in life until you can manage and control and contort your body into the specimen that it should be. That sounds so asinine and so simple to me, but it's literally something that people struggle with tremendously. I have struggled with it tremendously, but sitting here right now, I'm doing pretty good with it. But I think the best preparation tool that you can have is yourself. Make Mm. yourself capable on every front. Be able to walk further, run further, learn a martial art, learn to read, maybe even help. Start learning a different language. All of these things are ways to better navigate a future in this world. Like, should we learn Spanish? Should we learn Chinese? I don't know. But one or the other is going to be better than neither. You know, so that kind of thing. And that's, that is the luxury of being a little bit older. Cause when you're young, you're so stupid, you just do everything. (laughs) But now it's kind of like, well, I don't necessarily need to be a shit ton stronger. So my training, you know, like how many guys are going to overpower me in this life? Not very many. How many are going to outlast me in a physical confrontation? How many are going to be better fighters in a physical confrontation or how many people are going to, and it sounds like I'm so paranoid about these things and it's not like i sit around just think about it think about it think about it yeah but it's an active process it's an active daily process did i get better am i still capable with my bow am i still capable with my rifle am i still capable with my pistol it's not like i'm going to the range every single day i do with my bow but with a gun shooting every single day once a week once every couple weeks even once a month you know depending on the amount of time dedicated to it you can you can stay pretty sharp um yeah but I think, or even dry firing, if you don't want to waste. Dry firing is the best thing in the world. I literally exactly. think that are, that there is it's free. Like, yep. You slide your rack, you slide your rack back, point name, click, and it it's a training tool beyond perceiving the bang. You know, yep. that's something uh, they talk about a lot is like anticipating that that noise. Mm-hmm. That's that gets a huge component of of misaligned accuracy is people like flinching and stuff like that. Yep. So. Trading that way, I mean, we can, we do need to do more of this and we need to maybe even have some people on that are way better at it than us. Yeah. But I think if, if I had one recommendation for a person, get a good, solid, uh, non-collapsing knife, a fixed blade knife, find a pistol that you really believe in. I'm a Glock mm-hmm. guy. I've trusted mm-hmm. SIGs. I've had some FNN. I've had some CZs. Like I've had, a, I've had a wide range of guns, the most dependable most accessor, you know, accessorizing and customizable probably is the Glock. I mean, it's yeah. just a universally sound platform, can fire underwater, can take a beating. Um, and, you know, you're $500, $600 away from home protection, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's really it. Like, if you have a, a pistol and a knife, I mean, that's a pretty good start. You know, for me, yeah. it's just on a pr- preparation standpoint, that's where I would start. A good physical body, pistol, mm-hmm. knife. And and to go with, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that I, I was thinking of, because I, I looked to my, my right here, I've got a handful of like my, my kind of my current books and things that I, I map out for the next handful of months, keep them all right here. And then I've got a bunch strewn about wherever. Um, but there are physical books, right? Like I would always encourage you to get some like literal physical books that have lessons on these skills. There are some, I mean, just so you have like the, if for whatever reason you can't access that information online or digitally anymore, you need that physical thing. So like the, the, one of the more popular ones is I think it's Bushcraft 101. Yeah. Uh, I've got that book right over here. Yep. And I've got it right down here. And he's got several in that series that are like a little more fine tuned. And Ranella has like a wilderness survival guide he came out with. I mean, like there's all kinds of those where even if all you did was just go buy that book, there are skills in there that you could learn from reading those pages that you could go out and practice just at your home. You know, it doesn't have to be some big grand. I have to go out in the mountains and 
you know, test myself for three days, like just take a knife and practice on a stick, how you're going to shave the kindling for starting a fire. Like, I mean, learn these things on those pages. And then you always have that book, right? Cause who knows? We someday we might not be able to access a lot of this stuff digitally if accounts get shut down or websites get taken off at the rate that they're being purged in some places right now. But you know, if you've got a book in your home, like I would prefer that, especially if it's something that's teaching those skills, right? Yeah. Well, I'm just looking at my my kind of myriad of books over here. Yeah. You know, just in the in the grasp, I've got you know some books on poetry. I've got a couple Bibles. Mm-hmm. I've got the classics. Um, and then it starts into some of the, yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't right even here. say self-help stuff necessarily, but just more like anecdotal stories from people that have overcome some shit. But yeah, I've got uh, 101 skills to learn before you die. Uh, Bushcraft 101. Yeah, right here. got that one. Yeah. Uh, Dave <laughs> I've got, Canterbury yep. is the author of that one for those listening. But there's, you know, there's seven or eight books I'm looking at right now from the Meat Eater Cookbook to a Bourdain yep. Cookbook. Um, a knife making book. Yeah. I mean, and it's not to say that these are the, the exact books to go out and buy, but I think it's more of a detailed examination of, you know, I, it, I'm pretty proud of my books in the sense that there's a lot of like enlightenment from an education standpoint. And there's also enlightenment from a physical standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just try to run the gamut of all of it. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'm interested in this, but it's also like there's so many fucking LARPers out there that, you know, act like they're, there's something that they're not. Yeah. Dude, this is just an, this is an enthusiasm for me. This is, this yeah. is a hobby for me based on people that I admire and look up to and lives that I want to live. I mean, one of the newest books that I have, uh, it's not new at all. It's actually from 1914, I think, but it's <laughs> uh, Theodore Roosevelt's hunting book. Uh, it was actually came from a library in Idaho. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So, uh, but, but, you know, some of his stories and the hardships, it's like, it mm-hmm. makes you realize how far we've come and how, how much easier things are. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, man. I just, I want to see people get excited about ownership of their lives, you know, being able to confront the things that challenge them, overcome the things that challenge them, and then also create mm-hmm. new challenges that make them better. Yeah. Um, that's something that we haven't said exactly, but I think it's been something that we've rooted for when we started this whole thing was mm-hmm. we're both trying to figure it out. Like we're just trying to figure this thing out and, and shed some light on those things. Um, do you think that, do you think that some people, and I guess you already said they did, but do you think some people live this life where they think they have it figured out and maybe they mm-hmm. do as a, as a list of check boxes versus actually being able to do the things that they talk about? I mean, does that just in your mind strictly come down to practice or does that come down to ego somewhat too? I think it's a little both because I think some people view it as such a, a, you know, we, I use the example with like the gun guys before. Right. And they will actually go out and buy all the kit they think they need and, you know, and then do like the, the air rifle competitions or like, you know, the, whatever it's called the airsoft yeah, yeah. like games. Right. And go, I mean, then, then there's like benefit to learning how to like move and, and that kind of thing within a building with some of that stuff. But what I think a lot of people do is like they consume so much on a topic that the, the consumption leads to the belief that they are the expert yeah. without the practical application of it. Yeah. You know, like you can, I can read 10 different books on how to raise chickens Yeah. Right. But until I actually have a couple of birds in my yard and know how it is to like (laughs) to raise chickens, I can't speak to anything about any of that. Yeah. Well, when I was younger, I was telling you, we, uh, we didn't have a whole lot of extra money. So my dad blesses like, and I hate saying bless his heart because it kind of sounds like you pity on him, but, Mm. um, he was trying to do right by me in that he knew I wanted to take karate. I was big into like karate kid and some Mm -hmm. of the Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee films. So I was very into it couldn't afford lessons. And he took me to the library and we got this like karate book, you know, picture book. <laughs> yeah. And it was like showing how to demonstrate these things. And I swear to God, I spent days, like in, I had two <laughs> weeks with that book. So for two weeks, every right. photograph I was mimicking and all this other stuff, man, it, it did not make me a martial artist. It did not actually right. make me any closer to being a martial artist. It just showed me some of the poses. And that's essentially what you're talking about is, you can have a good faith effort and you know, I can read about all this stuff. It will never ever be the same until you try it. 
until mm-hmm. you do it and fail and do it and fail and refine your own process. But man, I, I just think it's important. I think for me, there's so many things I can't control in this life. There's so many things that are unknown in this life. So many unexpected turns in the last two or three years. I think for me, this is anti-anxiety exercise. Mm. Um, and, and really the, anything that, that brings you closer to closure on a topic is anti-anxiety exercise. As far as, you know, if, if you got to pay a bill, well, if you just sit here and fret about it, you're never going to pay that bill. But if you're going out and you're like, I'm just going to do odd jobs till I get enough money. You're reducing that anxiety because, okay, yeah. I'm a hundred dollars closer. I'm $50 closer, $75 closer. Same kind of thing in this front. Like I'm not going to go out, shoot Brian Morgan. I'm not going to out shoot Michael Bacliari. I'm not going to out shoot uh, Colby for Volkortsen. But I can go out here and improve myself and get better and better and better. And that will tell me, okay, I got better. That limits this previous anxiety of not being good enough. And, mm-hmm. and that's on all fronts. I mean, I'm not saying anything revolutionary, but right. it is just a good reminder that information does not equal skill set. Skill set yes. is applied information and application and then readaptation, I think, something like that. Forever. Forever. Like there's never, and, and there's never, even the guys that, you know, we would look to as the masters, right? They're still doing the same thing of refining the skill. And I think that becomes, I mean, that's the Dunning-Kruger, yeah. right? Like you get to that point where you realize, uh, yeah, I'm probably the most knowledgeable, but I don't really believe that that's enough still, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, I'll tell you one cool story. So I asked a guy, he's a, he's a very high level special forces guy. And I asked him one time, mm-hmm. I said, dude, what's your ADC? And he goes, it's going to surprise you. And I was like, all right, what is it? And he just reaches in his pocket and pulled out a ninja star. He was like, I either figure that if I pull that out on somebody, they're going to assume that I am such a badass, that's all I need, or I get to kill a guy with it. So either way, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of like, yeah, that would that would mess my mind up if I got into something. And dude, if you saw dude pull out star. three ninja stars and like fan them. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, never mind. I would, I'm done. That would be almost worth going out like that. Get, right. Getting hit in the like the arterial, like the femoral of your leg, like damn it, hitting the the artery. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. I think we could probably turn this into a series because we didn't even touch on really. I mean, just at the very end, kind of even like the homestead model, yeah. right? Where you're talking about raising your own food or you know any kind of you know small livestock, and we you mentioned water, like rainwater collect. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we could branch this off into. So maybe we do. Uh, maybe another, and like you said, um, I bet we could, we could bring some people on that are, that are much more knowledgeable. Well, Kevin Estelle is a good friend of mine. I mean, well, it's a good yeah, friend, he's, like he's a good dude and we've, we've known yep. each other a little while. Um, it's not like we talk every day, but he would definitely right. be a guy that would be down for it. Um, yeah. even Buck, I'm sure Buck would be on for yeah. some, some gun stuff, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, there's so many people that are so much more qualified than us. I think <laughs> right. having the banter of their qualification versus our mistakes, yeah. <laughs> it might make for some good information. <laughs> right. Exactly. But, um, so yeah, dude, I, I appreciated this episode and I, I it, mm-hmm. it kind of makes me go back and look at my own list, you know, like, do I yeah, need to same. check back on some things or do I need to do things different? So it's always good to refresh. Well, we'll do some more of these. Cause this got me, like you said, yeah, I got my, my wheels turning on some stuff that I, I want to still have some time to, to go more in depth on. So we'll have to make it probably do this a couple of different times in some form or fashion on different topics with, as it relates to survival and prep and, and all this kind of stuff, but yeah, we'll, we'll call it there for today. And, uh, this will be posted normal day. If you guys are watching on YouTube on, on Friday, but we will be, we'll be down off the grid for the most part by then, man. So we'll get after it and I'll, I'll see you in a couple days, my man. Sounds good, brother. Take care of yourself. 